From the east side to the west, this is From the Land, the Cleveland Sports and More podcast. I'm your host, Jason Gerber, and tonight we start at home, cross our fingers, and hope the guards may be turning things around. On the road, we talk NBA Eastern Conference, the upcoming finals, and our first ever college softball World Series predictions. Off the field, we say goodbye to the Roys, Cousin Greg, Jerry, Frank, and all the rest of our friends from Succession. I am joined tonight by two of the best ever. My co-hosts, Phil Denko and Chuck Rambaldo are here. Fellas, summer has finally arrived. How are we feeling? I feel good. It was a it was a good intro to summer this weekend. The weather in Northeast Ohio was beautiful, sunny, 75 to 85. It felt like we're in mid-season form and summer just started. I'll say almost the same thing. The weather in northwestern Pennsylvania was perfect. It was wall-to-wall sunshine and mid to high 70s, no humidity. The pollen's not that bad here either, so my allergies are okay the past <laughs> couple of days. So I've I literally spent almost every day outside with the kids and doing that stuff. It was awesome. About the same here. 65 to 70 every day in northwest Michigan. <laughs> and just like that feeling that summer was here, like that just good time, happy, everybody kind of out and about doing their thing, um, a million different things to do outside, like – it was uh it's a fun time, man. I love the summer. I'm glad it's here. But let's do some podcasting stuff. We're gonna start at home with our Guardians week cap, our look back at last week's Guardians baseball. J Ram saved baseball again. Guardians were looking at another losing week after dropping two of three to the White Sox, splitting two with the Cardinals, and down a run in the ninth on Sunday afternoon when J-Ram doubled to the wall to drive in the winning runs, ensuring the guards were non-losers for the week. <laughs> guards finished the week 23-29, and 29, still just three and a half games behind the Twins. I think I ask this almost every week now. Is this the win that gets the guards going this season? <laughs> I, I want to say I hope so, like I have when you asked it last week or two weeks ago, whatever it is. But still, I, I guess if we're just focusing on that game, that impact, that win, sometimes it takes your best player to erase a day's worth of inept offense where you can kind of forget how bad that offense typically has been this week and, and uh, hope that it gets the, the, the team rolling, at least offensively, because the pitching is not really the biggest problem, obviously. But I mean, I'll be positive with you for right now. Yeah. OK, we'll do that. Thank you. This is it, man. This is it. That was the win. That was it. <laughs> Every week going forward, four and two, four and three. No more losing weeks. That's what that's what I see coming from this. Um, now I don't. I don't know. I hope I'm with Chuck. I hope it is. It's getting not that it's it's not late in the season at all. It's not even June first, but it's kind of getting late in the beginning part of the season. To we can't be six and seven games under five hundred, even in a shitty division. So I, I hope it is. And the way that series went with the Cardinals especially the night before where it was one-to-one. It was an amazing, like the pitchers were just locked in and we got out of ridiculous jam. Like Karen check tried to lose that early and then you know, Hench just came we're in. We're going like, to get to it. Yeah. Like that was ridiculous to be in that game and then to lose it where I felt, and I've said this many times on the podcast, I feel like our team is built for the new rules in, in extra innings and to lose it in extra innings like that 
it, had they dropped that one on Sunday too, you would have been looking at another losing yeah. week. Yeah. Just like, ah, oh, we're not, we're just not getting anywhere. So to, to, to end the week like that, even though it went through, we went three and three, it's nothing but positive. And, and I hope that's the springboard going forward. The game Sunday was really exciting and you hope that's the catalyst, but they actually played for the most part pretty well all weekend against a really good team like the cardinals are legit and that bullpen is disgusting man like it's like every dude in their bullpen throws a hundred i know <laughs> uh, i think they have a guy that threw a hundred mile per hour uh sinker during <laughs> one of the during one of the games like how is that even possible not fair so it's yeah. nice to to take two of three from that team um that's a, a pretty solid team even if their record maybe doesn't show it right now Man, that's those are some good wins. So that's hopefully stringing some together. I know we'll we'll kind of get to it when we look ahead to what's going to happen the rest of this week. But you know they started off well today with a big win against the Orioles. That was nice. So, but last week the Guardians scored three runs, two runs, zero runs, four one, runs, one run, and four runs again. The Guards have scored more than five runs only nine times this year, not counting today's game. And they've been shut out six times already. So scale of one to five, one being mile 20 of a marathon, five being the last half mile of a beer run. How close are you to giving up on the guards offense? <laughs> Man, I'm, I've been a baseball fan since I knew what that sport was. So it's way too early to give up on the guardians offense, but on that scale, I'm not all the way to the last half mile of a beer run. I'm kind of sitting in the middle there. Like, I don't feel good about this offense. Even, even the guys that don't need to prove it, right? Like, J-Ram, he's doing okay. But, I mean, when's the last time that dude hit a home run? April? Josh Bell can't hit home runs. Can't hit doubles. I mean, it, it's just, so I don't feel great about it. I'm not going to give up on him. So, I'll put it right in the middle. Maybe a, a three, let's say. I hate this offense. Um, <laughs> yeah. So uh, the only thing that's saving it is that it's still somewhat early, but every week it's later. And I'm going to sit them at like a four just because, you know, the stuff that happened last year and maybe we were spoiled that like, timely hitting it's, it's just not, not there. There's no power on this team whatsoever. Uh, we talked about this last week, the guys who are playing above their pay grade or their heads are not doing that. So I'm not saying it can't be turned around, but you know, a team that typically doesn't spend money, spent real money this year, not just on free agents, but also re-signing Jimenez. And, and, and I'm I'm not a fan, which I was of all of them right now. I'm not a fan of any of them. So I'm going to sit at four. I'm not sure Chuck understands the scale because I feel like I'm a lot more likely to give up on mile 20 of a marathon than <laughs> on the last half mile of a beer run. Like, why would you quit then? You're almost oh, done. You're one? almost to the beer. Well, the beer runs five. I'm, I thought the... Oh, then yeah, I'm let's, a, let's I'm a be two. Honest. Sorry. Is this the Sorry. first time we've ever been confused by a scale? <laughs> uh, probably not. <laughs> no, no, I, I blame myself. I blame myself <laughs> as the person responsible for writing them. I'm I'm probably at like a two and a half leaning to like I'm and maybe I'm overreacting, but I'm really starting to feel like there isn't a lot of hope on offense. Too many guys have got to turn it around for this to start being a really effective, productive offense. And I think like two weeks ago, I said, I think they'll be their offense will be just as good as last year. They just need to get going. And in that two weeks, I've started to feel like, I just don't see it. Like, I feel like J-Ram will get better. I feel like Jimenez will get better. Other than that, are we 
kind of getting what we might be getting from everybody else. And the free agents, you know, we don't know those guys other than, you know, kind of what we've heard and what we've read about them before they got signed this year. So I don't know if we can really get excited about one of those guys, you know, like Zanino or Bell starting to hit. I'm certain I'm overreacting. I'm probably jumping the gun on this. But I will tell you right now that emotionally, I feel a lot like giving up on the Guardians, as I would in mile 20 of a marathon, because that much running is just ridiculous. Moving on, Jimmy Ball Flip Karinchek had one of the oddly most terrible appearances you can have as a pitcher. Uh, his ERA was zero in his appearance on Saturday night against the Cardinals, uh, but he walked the bases loaded on only 16 pitches. On the season, he's one and four. He's got a four, five, seven ERA in 21 innings. He's given up 13 hits, 16 walks, 11 earned runs, but opponents are only hitting 171 against him. So what should the guards be doing with this guy right now? I'm, I'm surprised you saw him in that situation Saturday because I thought what they did Tuesday, and that's a little farther back in the week where uh, De Los Santos came in and worked that high leverage situation instead of Karinczak. Maybe Karinczak's more like a sixth, seventh inning guy right now uh, until he kind of finds it. Uh, Baseball is stat driven and you gave a pretty decent picture of stats that like, is he that bad? I mean, your eye test is telling you like he's been bad this year and maybe it's the rule change and maybe it's his, his, his method in, in getting into it. It just, it's not working. So I was really surprised they actually put him out there on Saturday night. I thought that Mets loss was the worst loss of the season, but I'm thinking that might be because you hold the, the Cardinals, the two hits and still lose the game. Yeah. Yeah. Boy, that Mets loss was pretty bad too, though. Yeah, that was yeah, that was yeah, yeah, right. Can it be one A and one B? We do that. Yes, worst loss of the week. (laughs) I'm hoping that he's in situations now where maybe it's a confidence thing for him that he's seeing the sixth inning or the seventh inning, and not these really high leverage spots where he just has not performed as he should at any point this year. I think it was the seventh on Saturday. It was. Yeah. Yeah. Cause Henches ended up having to pitch oh, like two innings two to innings. get him yep. to get him to the ninth. Yeah. So I, I think you're right. I think that's, he was. Yeah. Yeah. He was yeah, great. He was dominant. He was great. I think you're on to what Tito is probably thinking is like, we got to get this guy some confidence. So let's not put him in at the end. We'll put him in at the seventh. I don't yeah. know. I would take it a step further. I think, I think we should be putting this guy in when the game's really not already decided we're either up a bunch, which never happens or we're down a bunch. Cause I have no faith in this guy. He, I watched him go out there and he's doing a much better job with the pitch clock. I will give him that, but maybe it's to the, to the expense of his control. The guy threw seven straight pitches up and in on two consecutive batters. He couldn't even find the plate. Like, all right, this is, this is terrible. And they were all fastballs. There was no movement to it. It's like, all right, you're just throwing it up and in. To Chuck's point, you can't put this guy in in high leverage situations anymore. Not not when Henches is pitching the way he is, and he's kind of behind a bit because of his injury, so he's rounding into form. He might be your setup guy going forward, and even De Los Santos was lights out. So you got that guy, and you throw Curry into the mix. You got three guys that are doing a way better job in in potentially high leverage situations to get to Class A. So I think what happens with Karen Check right now is he might get some work in the middle of games where the game isn't. It's it's really it's either the middle of the game, so it's not decided, or it's it's a couple runs one way or the other, just to have him find himself again. Because the way he's pitching, where he's going to end up is in Columbus, and that's kind of 
strange for someone at this point in his career. I'd be surprised if that's what happened, but I, I, I guess that part of what maybe the solution is you got to get him innings. He's got to pitch in game situations to kind of see if he can shake out of this. And the latter half of last season, he was awesome. Awesome. So, I mean, like, you know, that the guy's got it in him, like what is going on? And I will tell you as somebody who out of nowhere forgot how to throw in high school, what Karen check needs is his Denko, his guy that will play catch with him whenever, you know, he needs to, and not worry about having to run like a mile and a half chasing balls that have flown over his head or something like that. Like Denko did when we were in high school. Hey, it kept me in shape. <laughs> good. Yeah, you were having such a hard time staying in shape when you were 17. Yeah, yeah, right. Right. A lot of, a lot of spaghetti dinners at Skeeter's. Oh yeah. Skeeter's. Yeah. Delicious. <laughs> you can't see him anytime soon in the eighth for sure. Maybe not the seventh, uh, maybe the fourth if they're getting blown out or something like that is <laughs> yeah. a good well, spot the, for him. The problem is we're, we're leading all of baseball in one run games, right? Right. So, right, so you exactly. can't bring this guy in. You cannot bring this guy in yeah. to walk the bases loaded to start an inning when we're only up or, or tied or we're down or up by one. Like, ah, terrible. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to something more positive. 84 lumber guardians, big stick of the week. Who is the best power hitter on the team this week? Mike Zanino hit a home run. Will <laughs> Brennan hit a home run. Josh Bell hit a ball off of the top of the wall. That's really close to being a home run. <laughs> Stephen Kwan hit two doubles. If you combine those, that's a home run. So who's your 84 Lumber Guardians big stick of the week? I'm angry with Josh Bell as a person and a ball player, so I can't give it. To, I, cannot, I cannot give it to him. That guy's gone. It's now gone to the level yeah. of his personality. Is yeah, a problem. because yeah, the three of us have the same amount of home runs as he's hit in the month of May, and May is almost over. So that's there's no excuse for that. Uh, so I'm going to give it to Zanino with his home run, and I, he had five hits. He had five hits. In yeah, like he actually had a pretty games. good week. Yeah, he had over 300 for the week. I'm going to give it to him yep. because. We signed him to be an offensive catcher, and there we go. That was it. God, I hope that's not all of it. <laughs> that would be really, really shitty if it was just this one good week yeah. for six million bucks. Feels like it might be. <laughs> what night did Brennan hit the home run? It was after he killed a bird, though, right? That's yeah, why I'm going to give to Brennan because yeah, he yeah, killed yeah. a bird. If you're hitting the ball that hard that it kills a living thing, there's no other option this week other than Brennan. I guess I'll give it to Stephen Kwan. Two doubles <laughs> is nice. That's a lot of fun. I like that guy. <laughs> Moving on. Most valuable guard, our MVG of the week. First one, Jose Ramirez. He only hit like 230, uh, but he had some extra base hits, and he had the game winner on Sunday, which is what is making us happy today. Next one, Hunter Gaddis. Went back to Columbus, got a haircut, came back to Cleveland, had a great start, and then followed it up with an Almost great start again against the Cardinals for the week. His ERA was 2.53. He had seven strikeouts and 10 innings. He got that win over the White Sox. Next one, Shane Bieber, undefeated on the week, 1-0. Six innings, only had two Ks, but he only gave up two runs. Also got a win. Last one, we mentioned him already, Xavion Curry. Uh, he got the win on Sunday he had two appearances during the week, no earned runs, uh, and really locked down those final two innings to, to get them that win on Sunday afternoon. So who's your MVG off that list or 
name somebody of your own choosing. <laughs> I kind of want to mush all the young pitchers' names together like you typically do because I feel like that's yeah, hard. like they, so yeah, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it, <laughs> especially with Xavier Curry. <laughs> yeah. how, how are you getting that one <laughs> yeah. mashed up with somebody? Hunter, Xavion, Gaddis, Bybee. I don't know. I, I couldn't do it. So I'm not going to. Early in the season, my man crush was Hunter Gaddis. He shit the bed for sure. And he's come back. Like he went back down. He's come back. And the guy looks as all these young guys, all these young starters do. They're getting six and seven innings in the game, giving up two and three hits total. Uh, Gaddis, other than was it yesterday where all of a sudden he just kind of ran out of gas and gave up three solo shots in one inning. But prior to yeah. that, the guy was just destroying the other team. I mean, so I'm going to give it to Gaddis because these young guys, here we are thinking we were going to have a problem with starting pitching because, because McKenzie and Savali were hurt and they're just now getting stretched out in the minors. And we've got Bybee and Gaddis and Logan Allen. These guys are they're unbelievable. And I want to stay positive. I think it pushes us to trade Shane Bieber pretty soon is what it's going to do. Uh, yeah, but you know, good position to be in, I suppose. So my, my MVG is Gaddis because he's part of that young, young crew of starting pitchers. I'm going to go Gaddis too. Um, that win, uh, against the White Sox, he pitched really solid, and that's a team he gave up five home runs to the first time he faced them. So to come back and do that, and and Sunday, I thought he pitched well, but Phil's right. It's not only that he runs out of gas. If you watch him, his mechanics get real wonky the farther he goes into games. Wow. Like his arm slot, he gets a little sloppy, and I think that's why he's starting to get lit up. So if you're getting five innings out of him, those should be pretty solid. It was a good week for that dude. It's a great bounce back for a guy who got sent down to come back up and beat a team that just – shit all over him the first time he faced him so he's my dude this week we love young guys that can bounce back after bad games and i will say again that my only problem generally speaking with terry francona is leaving starting pitchers in an inning too long and it sounds to me i didn't get to watch a lot of that game that gaddis pitched but it sounds like that's what was happening you know like his his job is done after five innings if he's gotten you a shutout let him give the ball up to somebody else get him out of there You've got this great deep bullpen, you know, use them up. I'm going to give it to Gaddis too. Uh, I think he had a great week. Um, I think it's exciting to have another one of these young guys doing the job. The White Sox and the Cardinals didn't have great records, but those are really good teams, I think, still. And so he went head to head with two pretty good teams and had a great week and should have walked out of that with two wins, I think. And so uh, Hunter Gaddis gets it. Let's look ahead this week. Things are not getting much easier for the Guardians. Guards started a three-game set in Baltimore today and got a big win, and we'll follow that with a Midwest Coast trip for three against the Twins. What is a successful Guards week against these two pretty good teams? Even with the win today, I would still say even Steven is, is a good week. Baltimore is a really good baseball team, a really young, their bullpen is nasty too. Uh, and then the twins you're facing, the guys are at the top of the division. So um, don't lose any ground. Maybe you gain some ground, but even Steven would make it a successful week considering still that these bats aren't doing what they should be doing this far into the season. So Baltimore is the third best team in the American league. And to start that series off with a win is huge. Cause I, I thought going into that, I was hoping to get one win of those three games right yeah. and they they got it to start the series so now i'm going to be a little uh i i guess greedy because there's two more games win one of them <laughs> let's win this series right <laughs> yeah yeah 
But over the course of the week, and I think I was just looking at this. I think the twin series is a four gamer. Yeah. We got four oh. games against Minnesota. Okay. And we are six and nine against our division right now. Six and nine. So what I want to see out of this week is can we get that back to 500? We, we can't win the division if you can't beat the shitty teams in our division, right? And we, we haven't done it to this point. We can't do it. So it's going to be tough. I mean, they're going to Minnesota to do it. So maybe maybe if they're lucky, they get one more win in Baltimore. If not, they go into Minnesota and get, you know, two of two. So you end up three and four, but I'd rather go four and three. That's what I'm looking for because I want to get them back to 500 in the division. Thank you for fact-checking me, Denko. I appreciate that. I, I'm, I'm here to serve. I agree with you. I think if they can have a winning week, if they can come out one game over 500 this week, I think they're going to make up some ground on the Twins, and that's what I'd really like to see. Get us get us a little bit closer, and I agree with Phil 100%. we got to start beating our division a little bit. Like, come on, man. This is the worst division in baseball. we got to be able to beat these guys. I just can't stand to see the Twins and the Tigers ahead of the Guardians in the standings. We need that to change. So positive vibes coming out of the weekend, carried through for today's win against Baltimore. Let's keep it going, and um, let's make something happen with those Twins in, in Minnesota. But, fellas, we are going to take our first break. We're going to come back, talk some hoops, and talk some softball. Welcome back, fellas, to our second segment. We'll head out on the road. We'll start in the Eastern Conference Finals, Celtics versus Heat. What the f*** is going on? A week ago, we all agreed the Celtics were done. So, of course, they won three straight to force a Game 7 in their own building and then decided not to show up for it. So, Game 7 is wrapping up as we record, and the Heat is up by a lot with only a couple minutes left in the game. I'd hate to allow what happened in game seven to overshadow what happened in game six, because game six, I think, was one of the most exciting finishes I've ever seen in a basketball game. How would you describe the last two minutes of game six in this series? Enthralling, because I'm not emotionally tied to either of these teams, but I turned it on with only like six or seven minutes left in the game, and then I got into it. It's weird. Got up, walking the floor like like it's watching the Cavs. Like I was doing the same thing, um, and to see how that game ended, and I was in disbelief. I'm like, no way he got that off. And in the first replay show, they oh he got that off. Um, and I don't, I don't know where my wife, where she was. She might have been down. She came out, and I had to explain it like detail for detail how this game ended. And I think the last time I did something like that with somebody was when, like uh, God, when. Boise State won that bowl game. It was like the same thing. Like they have no interest in it, but I'm just going to give it to you because I'm very excited about this and somebody needs to hear it. So um, it was one of the one of the most fun basketball games, at least playoff NBA playoff games I'm seeing forever. Um, and I couldn't believe what I saw, basically. Like you usually see that shit in an NCAA tournament and that's about it. Never in an NBA game that an inbounder somehow gets his hands on the ball for a rebound and puts it back in. That's insane. Well, thank God we were not emotionally involved into that into that game because <laughs> yeah. we would have had heart attacks, all of us. At the end of that, to, to have Butler take, all right, you've got three shots to make two to tie it, right? Basically is, is how that's set up. You felt pretty good about that. You got the, you know, a star at the line. You got to make two. But for him to knock down all three of those in that situation where you're thinking, all right, the clock's not even moving and the game is over. Like this, yeah. this guy just won it at the line with ice water in his veins because no one's hitting all three of those. You know, there's no way. 
Uh, and he did it. And you're thinking, all right, game over, series over, Heat going to the to the finals. And then with two seconds left or whatever it was for that to unfold the way it did was just absurd. I could not even imagine like how many, how many Boston fans passed out before they saw the end of that game, yeah. right? Like there's just no way. So, I mean, as a, as a fan that was not emotionally invested in, in, in the outcome, like that is prime entertainment right there, right? Like you can't, you've got this entire game and you really, you can whittle it all the way down to the final five seconds. And like, this is some of the greatest sport you'll ever see. So it was exciting. I enjoyed watching it in replay the next day for sure. Just amazing though. Like you just shake your head. Like you can't even believe that that happened having seen it over and over again. Two things struck me in the, in the last few minutes of game six. Number one was how hard both teams were fighting for rebounds because all I could think of, and I know it seems like a million years ago, but remember when the Cavs lost to the Knicks in the first round of the playoffs and it felt like they never had anybody around the rim trying to get a rebound and it just killed them. And he thought like, okay, this is how you get to the finals. You're one of these two teams who's out there battling like crazy because every one of those rebounds is important. That last like, 10, 15 seconds of the game was nuts. Like Butler goes to the line for three free throws because Boston reviewed the foul call because they didn't think it was a foul. And what the refs decided was, yeah, it's a foul. And oh, by the way, he was behind the line. So he gets to shoot three (laughs) instead of two. Worst review ever. (laughs) (laughs) And then Butler makes them. He makes all three of those, and you're just like, this is the story of the game. This is this guy who had had been having a bad game most of the night, comes in, hits those free throws, and they think they're going to the finals when that ball rattles out on Marcus March 3, and nobody blocks out Derek White, and it ends. And I, I can't imagine being a fan in that building when that happened. Like, like we were in the finals, I'm sure of it, and and now we're not. And I, I'm I'm quite certain that the pain of that has been eased somewhat today. <laughs> yeah. So uh, game seven just ended a couple minutes ago. The Heat won the game by 19 points. Boston only scored 84 points. What does it say about the Celtics that they got boat raced in a game seven in their own gym? And what does it say about Miami they, that they could bounce back from that gut punch loss on Saturday night, go on the road and win this game. I, I think it says a lot about Miami because, I mean, I wouldn't blame that team if they were just completely demoralized after the way they lost game yeah. six, right? Like, yeah, you know, um, and to go into a place like Boston to have to win, it reflects positive on, on on that team and the way there's like, all right, we're always counted out. We've been counted out this entire playoffs, you know, we almost didn't get into the playoffs after losing the play in game, the first play in game. Right. So they, they, maybe they have a short memory and they're just, they're, they're just rolling with it. What it says about Boston though. I don't know. Like I think Tatum Tatum needs to be a superstar on this team, right? Like he needs to be a superstar in the NBA and he is by all accounts. I mean, he's that talented. He is a superstar. He hasn't played like it in this series. Like he just, he, he doesn't, he isn't taking over a game like a superstar in the NBA should, and today was a little different because he got hurt early in the game. And I think he he probably gave it his best effort the rest of the game. He looked like he was kind of hobbled the entire game. You know, not an excuse necessarily, but 
you know, you're looking at, you needed Tatum to be a superstar for Boston to win four games in a row. They got three of the four. All right, this guy, take us over the finish line. And he didn't do it. He couldn't do it. I love how this week played out that this series is over and you win three games in the way you win that third game. Every inch of momentum is now with the Celtics and you're heading back to Boston. You're the better team. Hands down. High draft picks, high players, high salaries against the team of undrafted guys who are playing out of their mind. However, you have a killer in Miami and I don't know if Boston has that dude. Jimmy Butler is that guy in the playoffs always and forever. Uh, And he admitted that they win that game if he played better in game six. And he didn't go on to guarantee a game seven win, but he pretty much went on to guarantee a game seven win, uh, a franchise that always finds a way to do it. Um, I saw something online earlier uh, before the game started that the the Heat's flight is to Denver after this game, before the game (laughs) even started. Not not back to Miami, going to Denver. Uh, I think you got sometimes you just get the right bunch of guys who buy in and that's a good, it's a God, man, it pains me. It's a really good organization that somehow always finds a way to win and beat a team that nobody, I didn't give them a chance. I, I thought they would get, I'm pretty sure Phil might've said they had Boston in three or something, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I gave the heat no chance. I, and I was the same. I gave the heat no chance, but they played better basketball. The moment's not too big for them. They're playing the best basketball of the season right now, which is always a good thing without two of their really good players who they'll get hero back for the finals. I don't know if they beat Denver, but uh, I guess it just goes to show you sports, man, like shit happens all the time. Uh, And what you think is going to happen doesn't, uh, but it was, it was super entertaining. I'm glad this team, this heat team has really won me over this playoff run where I I could care less if they even made it. Now I'd like to see them win the finals. It's been such a strange season, I think for the Celtics. Because you like you remember it all started with like the scandal with their coach from last year got fired right at the beginning. They promote this guy from within who has never been an, an NBA coach. He's kind of coached at like some small schools and stuff like that. And they were awesome at the beginning of the year. Remember, they were like it was something like 15 and one at the beginning of the season or something like that. They came out the gates flying. And then they get into this series and they look like they don't care for three games. Then they look unstoppable for three games and now they're back to like not caring. And I don't like, I don't know what you do. Like, how do you assess your team after that? Like, are you looking at your coaching and we just got to get somebody else in here? Or are we looking at this and saying, this is a hell of a nucleus, but we can't quite get over the hump with these guys, this, you know, Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, uh, Jason Tatum, like it's not working. And, you know, someday Al Horford has to retire. I mean, he just has to. <laughs> and and so I don't know what you say about them, except I just I'm stunned that they um, didn't make a game of this at home with, with all that momentum that Chuck was talking about in the heat. I don't know what else you can say about them, man. They were just just fantastic. They just there's something in that team that keeps them playing and keeps them winning. And like game seven is one of those things where you kind of see how tight guys are, how nervous they are playing in a game seven except you didn't see it from the heat. I mean, they dominated the second half of this game. I'm, I'm blown away by the fact that they could, they could do what they did um, tonight and get into the finals. So let's move on to that. Let's talk about the finals. Nuggets have been in for what seems like two and a half weeks, uh, probably spent a lot of time napping, 
Uh, do you think the break is good for the Nuggets or bad for the Nuggets? I don't know. I, I usually would fall on the side of such a lengthy break in sports is is bad because it it kind of it kind of messes with the the momentum of things. But I don't know. I don't I don't understand to this day why Jokic is so dominant. I mean, he's so good. He is so good, and it, I don't know that the, he'd have an answer for that. I don't think it's bad at all. I mean, Den- Denver's been the best team in the West all season, and the Heat have been the 10th best team in the East all season, <laughs> you know? So <laughs> we'll see. Does momentum matter more than fatigue, I guess, as this next series starts? Because you got to think Miami's going into Denver. Like Chuck said, they're flying straight there. They're going to play in three nights against a team that's been resting for what seems like two months. And and this is going to be a weird matchup too. I don't, I don't, does my I don't does anyone have an answer for for Jokic? I guess we'll find out uh, what Miami can bring. I don't want to count them out. Um, I I've been doing that all all year, uh, you know. So I, I think the rest is. I guess I had to lean towards a bad thing, but probably not. I don't know. I'm in the middle. I have no answer. <laughs> it's rough because that that argument's been around forever, and I think it's been around forever because most of these guys had like day jobs too. You know, like in like <laughs> yeah. the '60s, they went and sold cars during the day and played basketball or football on weekends. You're you're high performance athletes now, so. Uh, the rest I would assume is typically a good thing to a point because whatever muscle fatigue, Phil can speak to this more because he's a learned doctor, muscle fatigue, nagging injuries, that stuff kind of clears up. Uh, you have plenty of time to prepare for whoever your opponent's going to be because you basically haven't played basketball in a week and a half or two weeks is what it feels like. Um, but I like hot hands and momentum and that's what, that's what the heat have. So I see positives on both sides. Um, but I would ride the momentum thing right now. You're talking about an overachieving team who thinks they can beat anybody. Uh, and to me, I like the sound of that as a as a player, coach, executive, and organization than a team that basically ran through the playoffs and is just waiting to beat up on somebody else. It is the argument that's been around forever. I guess I fall on the side of like, if you can get the break and you can get healthy, take it. Uh, because the last thing you want is to be in a seven-game series and and have your legs run out by game six or something, you know, like you just, you don't want that. You you want to be healthy and rested and hopefully you're good enough and professional enough that you can pick the momentum right back up or pick the rhythm right back up, whatever it is. So are we sleeping on the Miami heat for one more round or is there a path for them to beat the nuggets? Who's winning the NBA title? Well, shit, after I just inflated them, I'm still going to say Denver should win this thing. Coward! <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I've been wrong this entire season. Um, the pedigree's there with, with Joker and that starting five, who you guys informed me, they score a lot of points. So I don't know if you need a really deep bench uh, when some of the guys you're playing are undrafted. I assume those dudes might come back down the earth. I think Denver's the best team in the NBA, and they've proved it for most of the year. Uh, and it doesn't matter who they're playing against. I think they win the series. Yeah, Denver in four. <laughs> no, it's um, <laughs> not in three this time. But uh, yeah, I, I got it. I think Denver is the better team. They're, I think they win it. But again, I've been counting out Miami the entire season, the entire playoff season for sure. So who knows? But if I had to put money on it, it's the Nuggets to win the championship. I think Chuck convinced me while he was talking about the rest being a good thing or a bad thing and about the heat oh. having a hot hand still i think chuck convinced me to go with the heat so i'm not sleeping on him again yep. <laughs> miami in six 
They're going to win the title. That's wild. Uh, it has been a crazy run for that team uh, so far, man. It's really fun to watch, and I think we kind of hit on it. Like it's This is one of the fun things about sports. But the other fun thing about sports is finding new things to get excited about. So, guys, let's talk about college softball. The World Series starts on Thursday, and, gentlemen, we're getting into it. It's an eight-team double elimination tournament to crown the national champion. So, which of these storylines are you most interested in seeing play out during the College Softball World Series? Oklahoma is the number one team in the country. They're playing for a three-peat this year. Stanford, its two best players are freshmen or fresh women. I don't know. Uh, one is a pitcher with a .49 ERA, Najari Kanati. The other is uh, an infielder named River Mahler, who's hitting 389. Next one. This year, Utah reached its first college World Series since I was the starting left fielder for the NDCL Lions JV baseball team. That would be the spring of 1994. Uh, last one. The Washington Huskies are ranked seven in the country, and they have an outfielder, <clears throat> and they have an outfielder named Madison Husky. So which of which of those storylines are you most looking forward to in the college softball world series? I really like the Madison Husky thing at the end there that, that uh, you know, I was leaning towards the Stanford thing, but I don't, uh, there's probably no one on their team named the Cardinal, right? Um, I, I like I find. the Stanford stats are impressive. Those, those freshmen, I wonder if they could play for the guardians after the all-star break. Um, that'd be great. I, I don't know. Like I, of all those storylines, I'm, I'm always a fan, especially when we're talking about sports that I, I don't have a, a real rooting interest. I'm always a fan of the underdog. So I, I'd lean towards uh, Utah lowest seed. They haven't been in the tournament since you were playing and roaming around in left field in, in high school. Uh, that's a long time ago, as we've mentioned many times on this show. Um, so I'll, I'll, that's a cool storyline. Like, all right, underdog, let's see what you got. I like the fact that, a team is going for a three-peat. Cool about the freshmen, but it's a big stage. I, I would think this is a big stage, and Coach Talbot always said, uh, buttholes pucker when you get to that point. I don't think you can talk um, about that. I don't think you can say that talking about <laughs> female sports. <laughs> uh, so I, I like uh, I like a good dominating program. It sounds like Oklahoma um, winning three in a row. Who's the last? Who won a uh, – gosh, trying to, who three-peated? The Bulls? Is that about it? Yeah. The Bulls three-peat? Yeah. Yeah. It's rare error. Um, so I'll go with the Sooners plus Baker Mayfield might show up and I love that guy. I'm going with the Washington Huskies and their outfielder Madison Husky. Cause it's like <laughs> what we talked about last week with Jim Brown playing for the Browns. Like it's just so cool to have a player named after the team and a team named after the player. So, um, that's the storyline I'm most looking forward to. How about this one? Which of these Ohio born players do you think will have the biggest college world series on Tennessee? a young woman named Peyton Gottschall. She's a pitcher from Maslin, Ohio. Her ERA was 1.42 this season. She had 129 strikeouts in 103 innings. Uh, on Alabama, Faith Hensley, an outfielder from Monroe, Ohio, which is between Dayton and Cincinnati. She only hit 235, but she had two home runs, which I think is more than Josh Bell. Last one. <laughs> Emily Young, an infielder from Mason, Ohio, also in between Dayton and Cincinnati. 
She hit 265 with 22 RBIs. So which Buckeye-born player is going to have the best College World Series? This one seems pretty easy because if your name's Peyton and you're going to Tennessee, it seems like you're going to do really well. So um, even though she was born in Ohio, obviously she's named after Peyton Manning. She went to Tennessee. She's going to be a stud. I was thinking the exact same thing, but since Chuck took the Peyton thing, I, I think I'll go with uh, Faith because, you know, let's have some. I'll go with Emily. Uh, Emily Young from Stanford. I just think it's amazing that for some reason the area in between Dayton and Cincinnati seems to be the cradle for uh, producing college yeah. softball players in Ohio. That's nuts. All right. Pick your favorite team for the World Series. Anybody except Oklahoma because oh. that's too easy. Uh, I'm going with the uh, Florida State Seminole because I, I I don't know why I, I just I feel like I feel like they're going to go on a run here and win the whole thing. I like Florida State too. That side of that bracket looks weak. Yeah. And anytime in 2023 we can see some sort of uh, terrible chop on television oh, and people God. hooting and hollering as they shouldn't be. Um, I, I just like the way that that bracket shakes out. Nothing against Seminoles, but uh, it looks like they'll make a run. Uh, I think it sucks that you guys both picked one team uh, that's going to make the competition between us a lot less compelling i'm not I really somebody else not really <laughs> married to the florida state i'm going with stanford uh because i looked at that bracket um with florida state in it and i think they play a lot of those games like at night and i don't want to have to stay up to watch my favorite <laughs> softball team play so stanford's playing its games in the afternoon that works for me uh, I'm going with Stanford. This is going to be great. We will follow up next week and see how our teams did in the College World Series. But, fellas, we are going to take our final break of the night, and we are going to come back, and we are going to get to talk about the finale of Succession. Welcome back, fellas, to our final segment. We'll head off the field for another From the Land TV time. And tonight, we say goodbye to Succession. Another HBO masterpiece ended its fourth season last night in dramatic fashion. We are going to have one final talk about the show and its finale. So, spoilers are coming. If you haven't watched it yet, don't listen to us. Pause this tape right now. Run away and go watch this show. Don't listen to anything more. I'll give you a moment. <laughs> All right. Let's get into it and our final talk about Succession. Uh, one of the things clearly that makes this show great is the writing. And so I tried to do a list of the best lines from this final season, but it was really tough to make a list because there are some terrible heartbreaking lines, but then there are also some terrible, really funny lines. So first list, best terrible line that makes you laugh from the final season. First one, judging by her grin, it looks like she caught a foul ball at Yankee Stadium. That's Tom Wamsgans in episode three about Carrie and maybe, just maybe, the best Tom line ever. <laughs> Next one, you're a clumsy interloper and no one trusts you. The only guy pulling for you is dead, and now you're just married to the ex-boss's daughter, and she doesn't even like you, and you are fair and squarely f***ed. Episode four. Carl, the CFO from way downtown on Tom. Also somehow the opposite of foreshadowing. Next one, it's not that lemony. It's just a hint of lemon. Greg <laughs> from episode eight, <laughs> pouring LaCroix in some guy's eyes. And last one, cunt's gonna cut Kendall. 
episode 10 to his sister somehow perfect foreshadowing which of those terrible lines was the one that made you laugh the most this season i i like the the cut line just because of you know it's a it's a show favorite here in terms of a word play i guess but the one that i laughed the most at was greg greg with the Lacroix <laughs> pouring into that guy's eyes that was you know he had wasabi he rubbed wasabi in his eye and he's pouring Lacroix and then yeah. he takes a sip out of the can he's like it's not even that lemony because Lacroix is like a hint of flavor right like, <laughs> yeah I just I laughed the that that one made me laugh the most of those four all good options I like the foul ball still the best because that moment was just so we had witnessed the heaviest moment to that point in the series uh and for me to actually laugh out loud when it was delivered cut through the heaviness of what that episode turned out to be. And it's brilliant line, brilliant writing. So I'm going to go with the foul ball. one. I'm on the foul ball as well. Although it was really close with Carl, the CFO, because I think that that was this great moment, you know, the episode after Logan had died where he perfectly sums up Tom in three sentences. And it's just like, Oh man, that was brutal. And these don't normally see it from Carl, but the, uh, the Yankee stadium foul ball thing is really funny and was delivered at, at, at a great time in the show. So list number two, best terrible lines from this season that broke your heart. First one, he's flying the plane, son. Frank to Kendall in episode three, after Logan dies and Kendall wants to talk to the pilot. Next one, I don't care what you think. You're a tribute band. Matson to Kendall in episode five. God, you're fucking useless, the lot of you. You're as bad as my idiot kids. Episode six, Logan's Living Plus promo outtake from the grave. Last one, we are all bullshit. Roman, episode 10. Which of those was the most heartbreaking line of this final season? Uh, for me, it's the third one. With the Logan Roy's recorded image that they kept playing over and over again in that episode. And you know, the fact that it was caught like, you know, off script, the, the camera's still rolling and he's just is just shitting on his kids, even when his kids aren't even around. You, you know, it's just like, oh, my God, they're worthless. And you can see it in Kendall's face. They zoomed in tight on his face when that was playing. And his response was like a kind of a weak laugh and like, oh, don't worry about it. It's nothing. It's a Valentine's Day card basically saying, yeah, this is my dad. This is how he's always treated us. He hates us, whatever. And and at that point they hadn't even laid him the rest yet, you know. So that that was heartbreaking on a lot of levels for me. The the bullshit line's great, but it's not heartbreaking because it's self-aware finally uh in this series. So I think it's Matson saying to Kendall that you're a cover band, and I don't care what you think, because what we see is that not only did their father not respect <laughs> any of the children. Either does the business community, basically. And I think it played out really well in this last episode. Uh, but that one's the most heartbreaking because you think they're ready or somebody's ready to to do this. And you're, you're the guy who's going to gobble you up has zero respect for you. Uh, it's Frank to Kendall for me. He's flying the plane, son. Just so sad and so kind of final and sad, like throwing in the sun at the end just makes it feel like uh, so much more weighty. Uh, maybe than than it was, but these two lists were really hard to come up with because there was a whole lot of good stuff. Um, I don't know if you caught Roman in episode ten when they're at the house and they find out that it's uh, Tom that's going to take over, and you hear him in the background say, "We're getting taken out by the dry cleaning guy" or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's hilarious. 
<laughs> There's a lot of plot to get through in the finale. So I'd like you to, to approach these next set of questions like a high school English exam and the portion of the exam that's the short answer. Not one word, not a full-on essay, but that good kind of two, three, four sentence short answer thing so we can get through all of this stuff. I'm screwed. <laughs> no, you can do it. You are very good in English. <laughs> First one, do you think Matson was stringing Shiv along or did he make the decision to change to a new CEO during the episode? And was it based on the magazine cartoon? He was stringing her along op for optic reasons. Like you have somebody from the family, but I think as that episode went on, not only because it came apparent, like you see strategically, it it didn't make sense to keep anybody from that family in the fold if there was going to be that buyout and takeover. Uh, I don't think it had anything to do. They, they made it a point for him to mention like, three times that the cartoon wasn't a big deal. He found it funny. So I just, I think he just strung her along to get as much info out of, and really, I know you keep it short. It was Shiv who sold Tom. It was, it was her who sold him to Madsen as a CEO, a guy who will eat yeah. as much shit as humanly possible and suck the biggest room. I think Madsen was stringing her along from the jump, but I don't know that he knew it even from the beginning. Like he was kind of angling, like, how do I get some inside info here? How do I get someone on my side of it that I can make some promises that I never have to follow through with to get some inside information as to about what's going on, what's the play, what's happening in that in the United States from a political standpoint and everything else that's happening there. When they were in in uh, when they were in that retreat, like I think he took advantage of that opportunity. But Matson's a weird character, right? Like I don't even he's he's a genius, yes. But did he realize he was taking advantage of someone at that point? And then it just became what it did. He had this person that was, you know, playing the game, so to speak, and and he had all that information. The way it all unfolded, I don't I don't think there was ever a plan to have Shiv at part of the company once the 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 deal went through no matter what i think it was a decision that he made in this episode and i think he made it in part because of that cartoon i think one of the things the writers of this show have done from the beginning is show how sensitive the egos of these like uber rich people are and like how important their view in the world or their presentation to the world is to them like how they are perceived by the rest of the world. And I think that cartoon that showed like Shiv pulling the strings on Matson, I think that got to him. I think he said he thought it was funny three times because uh, he was really pissed about it and he kept on having to bring it up. I, I also think he got to the he got to a point where he knew Shiv was smart and he didn't want that. Like he said it, he didn't want a partner. He needed somebody to like get shit on and he didn't think, I bet... My guess is he didn't believe Shiv would do that quite the same way that Tom has so proven he will. <laughs> In the very end of the episode, when they have the vote to approve the deal, Shiv hesitates and walks out of the board meeting. Why do you think she did that? In that moment, I don't know if it was a moment of self preservation i mean it, it she knew in that moment it, it came down to her uh, one yeah. way or the other, right like it was it was tied and and her decision was keep it in the family or Gojo gets the, the takeover. 
um, knowing that she's not even part of that, right? Like that's, that's the other thing. So I don't know what she was thinking that moment other than maybe she was being brutally honest in the, in the other room and thought like, wait a minute, this is a good deal. Dad thought this was a good deal. Kendall, you're going to suck at this and you're going to, you're going to destroy what has been built. And in the long run, maybe that's a worse Worst thing for them going forward, because let's not forget, they're all walking away billionaires, right? Like it doesn't. Yes. Yeah. yeah they, they, they're not going to feel got, sorry for anybody. They've got, yeah. They've yeah. got things <laughs> working for their future because they've got the money to do it, right? So she might have looked at it and thought like, all right, this is the better way to do it. Dad saw it. I see it. Kendall, you're not good at this. So maybe she was just being brutally honest. I don't know if I focused more on her name after that scene, like literally shiv is what she did i don't think it has anything to do with what her father wanted she's still butthurt that her brothers pushed her out yeah she is a vindictive terrible human being and this was a way to even the score and that's what i thought it was that's it that's all she was doing was the fact that she was pushed out she didn't have a place they all thought they deserved it you saw that in the last 20 minutes where the truth is none of them fucking deserve it. But I think that's that's what it was, is that she just got sick and tired of being pushed around or pushed out or not be taken seriously, never really being considered. Uh, fucked over more times than anybody in this last episode, like three or four different times in it. And it was her final way to control something. And it meant to blow it all up. I guess the only reason I disagree with that is because she knew by blowing it up, she was giving it to Tom. And she didn't want that either. You know, so it's like she, no. when, when Kendall was telling her that like what she was doing doesn't make any sense, there was no logic to it. Like I agreed with him. Like, you're right. This doesn't make any sense. She's not getting a good result like either way. And I really think it was her version of what we saw with Roman a couple minutes before that, where he was, he was kind of waffling on the deal and was kind of saying like, well, wait a minute, why couldn't it be me? Why, why can't I be the king? the guy to wear the crown, the CEO, whatever. I just think the the hardest thing for all three of those kids to do at any point in this series was give up control of that company. Uh, and I think that she got to her point where she was going to vote and knew that she wasn't going to be involved at all and just said, F it, I can't handle not being involved, so I'm out. And that's it. What a mess. All right. So, Matson owns Waystar Royco. Tom is the CEO. What do you think of that result? It's it's perfect because we're focused on the children and the father playing this game. And in the background, for how many seasons, Tom's been the one playing it probably the best. Ruthless and vindictive and heartless, but mostly like a, a puppet for Matson. That scene with him and Matson for the like vibe check when they went out and talk like that scene when he talks about wanting to f his wife and Tom eats it. Right. Yeah. Matson knows this dude will do whatever I want whenever I want. And that's the guy I want in this seat. So I thought it was the only plausible way uh, after watching it once that this show should end with with Tom, the one guy who will do just about anything to anyone. To, I don't even know if to get what he wants. He never seems about power, but he's the only one who's consistently gotten it uh, from the first season when he was just running what? Cruises and yeah, uh, parks, right? Like amusement parks? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, the, 
the way it works out from Matson and Gojo's perspective is exactly what a guy like Matson wants, right? Like they, they, we need someone that's proficient at this, understands the company, but in no way will ever threaten me as the CEO of this company. Like there's, that's not even, Tom has no chance at that. Like this is, this is a guy that is coming in and he's kind of neutered, so to speak, right? Like the, he, he is Matson's bitch, I guess, you know, um, but, but very good at that side of things. Like he is to Chuck's point, like he's kind of continued to climb the ladder within a company that was family. You know, everyone saw the, 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 I guess the visuals were all about the family and he was in the background just doing his thing. Sometimes, above board most of the time not you know and and getting to where he had to get and doing it well and doing it with this like he was like a evil kind of dude that kind of wavered back and forth right like he was going to do anything to get to where he needed to do but oh i'm going to still take care of the people that take care of me so greg you're okay right like greg i got you kind of thing like all right i don't know like i think it made sense from matson's point of view because tom is the guy he's going to he's going to send out there he's going to do a good job and he is completely under Matson's control. I guess from a strategy standpoint, uh, it makes sense for Matson and Tom for all the reasons you guys have said. I think maybe I got caught up in the kids too much this year, and I was—I think I was rooting for one of them to to get the company in the end. And I thought that, like, I liked the kids again after that scene in the kitchen where they have like the meal for a king or whatever meal fit for the king whatever that was like you you saw them coming back together and i thought like gosh wouldn't it be great if the show ended with these kids doing this together to kind of save the company and keep it in the family i i like that feeling i think but it's because i'm a sucker and, and i like feel good endings which is you know why lasso is so great for me but it does make perfect sense that and i don't think any of us really saw it coming and if us really saw coming out like, ah, you know, what's going to make perfect sense is the biggest pushover ever takes the CEO position so that Matson can run the company for real. All right. Last one. This is the creative writing portion of your exam. <laughs> uh -oh. Look ahead. Where are the Roy kids uh, a year after this company sells? They're all, they're all okay. <laughs> That's for sure. Cause they've got billions of dollars as a, as a safety net. I feel like their their relationship is probably beyond repair to where they could come together and form like what they were trying to work with when they were talking about um, their acquisitions and getting their own kind of new wave news app channel kind of thing going together. That was probably their their best path to take, but I don't know that they can get there. So I feel like a year down the road, uh, Shiv in a role reversal is now just sucking on the teat of Tom because he's still working with the company and fine. So she doesn't have to worry about anything other than raising their child, I suppose. And so she's doing fine, maybe dabbling in some politics. I feel like Roman Roman might be Matson just 10 years away kind of thing, you know, like looking at like, all right, what is, what is the next up and coming thing from a, from a social media standpoint or whatever. Um, and I think Kendall's broken. Kendall's gone. Like, I don't, I don't know a year from now. Is he at the bottom of that river he was staring at? I, I don't know. Uh, but it's, it, it didn't seem good at that point. The way that Kendall portrayed himself in the, the last few scenes 
when they were together and then broken, like Phil said, but he's finally free of his father's shadow. Can he come out of that? Honestly, I, I don't think so. After the verbiage that he talked about, like he has to do this. Shiv, even worse, basically turned Tom into her father, where now she has to seek approval from somebody else in a power position who is off put by her most of the time. I think Roman's the only one who ends up okay. He's the only one who became self-aware in the last few episodes. The bullshit line is he realized, I think because what I thought was weird was when he took to the streets and and got pummeled by people. Uh, It was the first time he lived in a real world through this entire series. He's realized none of us are ready for this or should be doing this. I think he's the only one who's somewhat all right. And he's the most, he, he seemed like the most f-ed up one emotionally most of the series, but I think he's the one who comes out the best in this because he just doesn't care anymore. Uh, where the other two will never stop caring, whether it's about power or influence for Shiv, which he will have none from now on or, or Kendall who thought his birthright was taken from him. And I don't think he ever, rec- I don't think he ever becomes a better father. I don't think he ever becomes more a part no. of his children's <laughs> lives. I think a year from now you have two of the three siblings terribly worse off than when they were when we met them and Roman's the only one who comes out and just is probably happy. He's got all that cash now and he doesn't have to worry about anything ever again or the, or the, the pressure of trying to do something he knows he should never have done. I think there's a good chance that in a year, Kendall is either back on drugs or he is literally just gone. Uh, I think the point that he made that, there was only one job he could ever do and it was to run that company and that is never going to happen. And I, I have a feeling that is the end of Kendall. Uh, I actually, I, I think I have more faith in Shiv in a, in a rebound. She's going to have billions of dollars. She still has the prenup with Tom that he never even read. You remember that from season one, he just signed it, didn't read it. Like he gets nothing of her money and that's really what Tom loves. Tom loves money. So I think Shiv is going to do something. I have a feeling it will not be with Tom. I think that will end. Their their marriage is a disaster. That's not going to stick around. I do think Roman is going to be in pretty good shape. But I think you saw in that very last scene of him, he's got like a little smirk on his face. And I think he's like the pressure is off now of having to live up to his dad or having to run the company and stuff like that or deal with all this bullshit. I have a feeling he's out in like Hollywood or like Silicon Valley or something like that. He's using his money to run some sort of bullshit business that it doesn't matter if it's successful or not because he can never spend all his money and probably still really weird because I don't think that was changing. But I feel like I'm with you guys. I feel like he might be the best one, best one off. Although I think Shiv does pretty well too. That's it for our short answer questions. Uh, With a series like this, it's really hard to stick the landing at the end. Famously, fans have reacted negatively to the finales for Seinfeld, Lost, The Sopranos, Game of Thrones. There's probably more. Uh, And I asked you guys not to look at any of the reactions today. What do you think the fan reaction will be to this finale? I think it'll be like really positive because if you if you if you look at what the show really was about, I don't think Logan ever wanted a successor. It's just the name of the show. I don't think he ever thought anybody can do the job he does, whether it's his blood or somebody else. So who wins in the end? He does. He got the deal he wanted. 
and none of his kids get the company, which I think he became okay with in that karaoke scene. Like when they when they yeah. were there, I think he, he he came okay with it. I always liked endings of shows that people didn't. I loved the Sopranos ending. I liked Lost. I loved Lost as ending, but Me this too. one is it's satisfying because it's exactly how it should have went. These kids could never get out of their own fucking way. They can never get past it if it's not them. And like that that boardroom scene when they left and and argued. It showed you why none of them should be a CEO. They're unprofessional. They're impulsive. They're manipulative. And most of all, they're traumatized. And they could never run that company. I think what people will say is like, you didn't get to see Kendall off himself. Like, I think people will say like, they, they should have gave you that because that's the feeling you kind of gotten like his, his life's over. But overall, it's brilliant. The ending, the, the finale was fantastic. It made me, it, it changed the way I looked at the kids when they showed you that video of Logan, when they were all sitting around at, at Logan's old place and Connor's doing the yeah. sticker thing. And they see, they see their father in a, you see their father in a much different light. He's there with the old guard. He's there with his girlfriend, Carrie or whoever, and she can be affectionate to him. Her hands on there and they're singing and Jerry's telling terrible jokes. And <clears throat> Connor does the, I'm a little teapot thing. And it's the first time you see their father without their shitty fucking perception of him. And what it led me to think was all those people in that company tolerated the fucking kids when they were around. But when they weren't around, it was in a completely different world. I'm glad they put that in there. It gave me a different perspective on Logan and how that business was really run when those kids weren't trying to get their hands on it. But ultimately, a completely satisfying ending. It left me no open question. I'm happy for Tom. Happy for Greg. <laughs> Uh, I hate Madsen, <laughs> but it was it's the right move that they sold the company. To me, this is one of the most satisfying endings of a series that I truly loved because it's exactly how it should happen. None of those kids should have got their hands on that company. The last show in in its entirety was was perfect. I'll, I'll get to the very last scene here in a moment, but I agree 100. I think what we saw was all right, and Logan told us these kids are not serious people. They were never players, ever players. You know what they did right in their lives? They happened to be Logan Roy's kids. That was it. That was the list. They didn't earn anything. They didn't do anything to take over this company. And, and we saw that come out and just unravel as this as this episode went on. And in and, and some pretty, I think Chuck put it really well, like some pretty traumatized way, like the way Kendall was like smashing Roman's stitched up wound yeah. into his shoulder to open it back up I'm like man what is happening right now just awful stuff that's the only way that he could feel was yeah. the pain yep that's the absolutely only way that absolutely he could feel. absolutely and and you saw i think you saw the true versions of the siblings those three anyway in the last moments of this of this episode and then you go to what i think a lot of people have complaints about in the shows that you mentioned gerbs like lost and sopranos and seinfeld it's not the whole episode. It's how does it end? The last few scenes, like it just, okay, Sopranos went to black. Like, all right, that, you know, that's going to be, which again, I thought was a great ending and I watched, rewatched it. It was phenomenal. Like poetic license, right? Like it, it's great. You, you, you let your imagination wander in that, in that moment. I liked at the end of this show that they basically, the camera focused in on the three siblings and what they were doing at the end. And it was, Siobhan in the back of the car with Tom, who had now the power position in the most, I don't know, 
lacking love and compassion moment ever where they're just kind of like hovering their hands over each other saying, all right, here we are. Right. So there's Shiv. That's how her story kind of ends and goes forward. You saw Roman at that bar with a drink, with that smirk on his face, kind of like he was way back at the beginning where he didn't want any part of this company. You know, like you said, like there was a weight lifted and then, and then you saw Kendall and it was eerily similar to that scene earlier. I forget what season it was in, but when when Logan was in the park and, and the dude was kind of like hanging out behind him and he was walking through the park to kind of yeah. just get out, right? In a, in a world that he doesn't belong in. You can't go walk through Central Park. You're Logan Roy, you know? Um, and here's Kendall doing the same thing. And it's always about that water scene with Kendall, right? Like whether it's his demise or his rebirth or whatever, he's staring at it and then the 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 camera goes to black and he's just, you, you sit there and you think like, all right, he's contemplating right now. Like, this is it. I've said it. My life is over. I'm going over this railing. And and the, the camera cuts out the, the credits roll. And I thought that was great. It was perfect. People are going to react to it. I think are going to appreciate that. It's, it was as well done as it was that it tied up all the loose ends. I think that's what you get from like, especially like lost, there was so many things that happened in that show that they never fully explained in the ending. I think that turned a lot of fans off. Sopranos, of course, is the biggest, you know, like open-ended ending in any of these shows. Uh, and so I think people will appreciate that. I I wonder what the reaction is to Tom taking over. Because I wonder if the general public who has watched this show views it like you guys do, where kids never deserved it. And Tom was like the perfect piece to plug in there. Or if more people got duped like I did into rooting for the kids by the end of the season because they're damaged, because it's been hard for them, because this is their birthright, so to speak. You know, whether you think that's fair or not is a totally different subject. But I wonder if people will look at this and say, hey, this was wrong. They should have. The kids did everything they needed to do to keep the company. They should have let them do it. And Shiv making a terrible decision at the end. I really do think she'd be better off if she had voted with Kendall, dropped Tom, and stayed connected to the company that way. I don't know. But I have a feeling that's kind of the way um, that it wraps up and, and kind of the way people look at it. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see. I think it gets rave reviews, though. I can't imagine somebody's going to complain about it uh, the way they did some of those other shows. But that is it for Succession, our last talk about it. Maybe not forever, but at least on this show. But uh, it was fantastic from beginning to end of this season. I thought it was really well done. It is time to move on to lighter things. Let's talk a little Ted Lasso because this one's getting ready to come to an end too. Last week was the second to last episode of the series. Mrs. Lasso comes to town. Jamie goes home. Richmond ends the episode on the verge of making football history. Ted's coaching philosophy from the beginning of the series has been his efforts to get the best versions of his players out of themselves. Don't you feel like that was what was happening to every character in the show in the last episode? Every last character seems to be the best version of themselves leading into the finale. It's a complete 180 from succession because I think we're looking at all happy yeah. endings. I think everybody's going to get their happy ending uh, for Lasso. 
And it gave you some detail to like, you finally found her coach beard's backstory. You finally found yeah. out why he's attached to Ted, which was great. Uh, but yeah, like, are, are they all still working through issues? Yep. Every one of them, but are they the best version of themselves that we have seen since the show started? I think so. Ted made major moves by confronting his mother and, and thank you. And f- you like, what a great scene that was. Uh, kind of somewhat out of character for him. They hear him say f- that many times. Yeah. But it, it meant something to the show. Uh, so, yeah, I think they're all the best possible versions of themselves. It's all leading to, like, this kumbaya happy moment where I'm probably going to not wipe the shit-eating grin off my face for a week. Yeah, I think we saw the best version of every single character on that in that cast, except for maybe Ted. There's one episode left. Well, no, no, but in that <laughs> in that episode that we're reviewing, I think it was an important episode from regarding Ted, but it was not the best version of Ted that we've seen to this point. And he was the only one in that entire episode that we didn't get the best version. I guess potentially I could put Roy Kent's poster as to there might've been a better version of Roy in the past. <laughs> oh, yeah. Cause that was <laughs> phenomenal. <laughs> the, the hairdo on that poster was phenomenal. Um, but yeah, we're seeing like all these characters, they're all getting that pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, right? Like they're all getting what, what we want for them, where we're rooting for. Um, and I think ultimately we will with Ted too, because I think we're seeing where this going, but that episode itself, Ted was, Ted was bothered that entire episode. Yeah. He is, he was bothered by things that his mom and he are so similar and he couldn't stand it. And, and that's pretty typical, right? When it, when it comes to like parents and children, yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, I think we saw the best version of everyone, but maybe not Ted in that episode. I don't even know that I think it's about them getting the things we want them to get. It's about like the growth of the characters. Like Rebecca has reached a point where she is so comfortable with her past with Rupert that she can welcome his new wife and his latest girlfriend into her home because they need advice. Beard let's go of all that anger he has for Nate because he realizes like, you got to give people a second chance because that's what Ted did for him. Uh, even Roy, like coming clean with Keely and saying like, I don't want to just be friends. You know, and I don't think that entirely got wrapped up, but I would be shocked if those two don't get yeah. together in this last episode, Jamie, I think becoming like the player he could really become, you know, I think all those things, it's, it's just the Ted Lasso way has lifted all of these people up. And it is fantastically cheesy, and I love every minute of it. Um, I'm looking forward to this final episode coming up this week. Is Richmond going to win the whole f***ing thing next week? Well, the way this series is going and the feel-good theme, I think they will. What I'm worried about is if Nate joins the coaching squad for one match and and wins it like oh man like i don't know i want i want ted to get this badge i want ted to get this win and then go back to the u.s i don't want nate to get the i get it nate's the next coach we all get it but the way the show's written it it is like you know it's a very emotional and heavy show at times but always funny uh and and there is a feel good theme throughout so i feel like they're gonna win it yeah this is my palate cleanser after succession (laughs) (laughs) There is no way that they do not win at all. I didn't think they would. 
you know, like mm-hmm. when we talked earlier in the season, Gerb, you said, oh, yeah, I think this is where it's heading. I'm no f-ing way. This can't happen. Uh, but you were right then. And you're right now. I think they, they do. They win the whole thing. It's a happy ending for every character on there. And I'm sure we could talk about after it happens where Ted ends up is exactly probably where he should be at this point. They're winning for sure. I wish it was something we could bet on. Um, I wish I was as good at predicting real sports as I was at predicting this fake one at the beginning of the season, but they're going to win the whole thing. It's going to be fantastic. And I hope that uh, I hope when they wrap it up that at the end of the episode, we get to look ahead a short distance and see where the characters end up a few months later or a year later or something like that. I think that would be, that'd be the way I want them to to do it, but we'll see fellas. Whoo. That's a lot of TV talking. We are out of time. I am out of questions for now. And we just did the whole show without mentioning that the Nathan's hot dog eating contest held a qualifying event today in Cleveland at the Berea rib cookoff. <laughs> that news that Cleveland's most likely champion in 2023 is probably coming out of that rather than real sports. I hope you guys have a great week. Let's get together and do this again real soon. Absolutely. <laughs> another pet peeve about lasso this week and of course we're going to get to it Mm -hmm. but like at the end like he's sleeping on the couch and his mom leaves to go to the airport and just leaves him a note which is like the most like quintessential tv movie thing ever like give me a fucking break man i'd be so pissed if my parents just like snuck out of the house and left me a note saying goodbye like his mom was the worst the whole time she was there for a week before he even knew she was there yeah yeah (laughs) why does that have to be a thing um tim shantz when we were in high school used to complain all the time about a thing in movies and tv shows where it's like a countdown like a bomb's gonna go off or something's gonna happen and they say it's like 15 seconds till it happens but then it takes like way longer for the scene to unfold and his thing always was is like why don't you just make the time the exact same time as it's gonna take to do the scene it's still gonna be dramatic and this to me is the same thing like why why are we doing this stupid thing where people leave notes like just <laughs> don't have the scene at all you know or you know yeah have her say goodbye and get a ride to the airport like a normal fucking parent why wouldn't she say goodbye to her son who and especially after like they had that final like like come to jesus moment right like thank you but fuck you kind of thing yeah 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 and try that Uh. with tammy sometime thank you for making dinner but fuck you (laughs) fuck you yeah Let me know how that goes. Yeah. <laughs> the couch is waiting for you. It's a long drive, but you have a couch. <laughs> I'm going to give you guys a break to look back at the email and look at the teams. That are- <laughs> I'm looking at it right now. Jeez. I should do that. Yeah, you did. I sent the, yeah. It. So these, these numbers next to them are the, are their rankings or where they were seated in the larger tournament? It's like where they were. Seated. I don't know. I guess either, either, way, either or same, yeah, yeah, yeah. Either way, <laughs> it gives you the same understanding that Oklahoma is yeah. really good. Utah's the underdog. Oh man. All right. I got, I got my, I got my choice. Chuck, you ready? Yep. 
Whoa, who's that? Whitney, she's grabbing oh, uh, who's, the fan. Who's that? It's it's Charlie. <laughs> she's really <laughs> grown. It's Charlie. She grew up. <laughs> Is that a wig? What the hell? <laughs> who's that? <laughs> Chuck, nope. be careful. There's someone in your home. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to alarm you. <laughs> It's like a Hallmark movie. You're doing a podcast <laughs> yeah, right. and there's a murder in the house. <laughs> right. And it's the people who are doing it with them who alert him. <clears throat> trying, trying to record a show here, Whitney. I mean, hey, it's we, good. It's always know. good to see you. Good to see you, Whit. Yeah. Okay. Right, ready? So, Phil. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Nate's another one. Like, Nate finally realized that he had some fault in the way things like went down when he yeah. left and yeah, he's writing a 16 page apology letter. Yeah. How um, about uh how about the full length video like Ted shows beard and yeah, then right in the K. Yeah, this guy yeah. he basically had to hide under my desk for 22 mm -hmm. hours. <laughs> like okay. That was that was pretty good. That was great. I love the, uh, the the guys in the bar too the 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 three super fans in the bar yeah. are hilarious. The last few episodes, they've been great. When they were forced to drink out of like champagne flutes, right. <laughs> like, oh, it, ta it tastes better. All right, man. <laughs> I saw a, a TikTok. Again, I was going to send it to you guys, but it was like three in the morning where they say that that Ted Lasso is, is nothing but the Wizard of Oz. And they're all, they're all these different characters. And obviously, Ted is Dorothy. Stranger yeah. in a strange land. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Beard is Toto from Kansas. Yeah, yeah. Roy yeah. Kent is the Tin Man. Um, mm. I'm trying to think that May was um, the Wizard mm. because uh, she's not behind a curtain, but she's always behind a bar. Um, Boy, Glenda is obviously um, Rebecca, but they went through the whole thing. I'm like, this is this is yeah, this I can Man, see that. People like, have it's, fucking... it's basically a Wizard of Oz remake. Way too yeah. much time. Yeah, yeah. People have. It amazes <laughs> me that, like, I mean, listen, it's it, it's really creative. You know, like I yeah. think, I think we're pretty thoughtful about this shit when we watch these shows when we talk about them. And like, fuck, I would have never even, never, never in a million years guessed that. You know, the man, the the stickers, the second tier grievers, oh, line, yeah. the second tier. Oh, so and then, great. How about when uh, uh, didn't didn't. Uh, didn't didn't what's it didn't tom put a sticker on greg's head yeah, yeah, yeah. Head. that was fantastic yeah, yeah. yeah fantastic yeah but it's and brilliant because greg is indebted to him forever yep yeah even though he sold yeah. him out like even the, the, the matson line end, when they sold yeah. him out they're yeah. laughing and they sign off on it and matson's last line he's like even judas is in the room like it just yeah, so yeah. brilliant yeah. yeah everything about it was so great and how about like they continue to even but, in this episode they hammer home like their mom is somehow their mom is even a worse parent than Logan. Yes, was. like it's oh just my so God. bad. God, like the these kids have scene. no chance. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. the thing. Is they never they never had a chance. That's what I would say. No. Like it's not necessarily about raising them. One of the questions I had for you guys that I took out was uh, after four seasons of this show, how interested are you in being the child of a billionaire? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, right. Worst parents um, ever, man. Yeah. But that's the thing is it's not just about like they got everything handed to them on a silver spoon because they were so wealthy. He he he's a horrible, horrible person. 
Yeah. Like yeah. Logan was a bad person, a bad yeah. father. Kendall's a bad father to his kids. Um, well, and they're like, they didn't even have a good side. Their mother was a bad mother. Like yeah. they have no, yeah. no one's modeling any kind of positive family, yeah. anything yeah. To, yeah. These, to these kids. Right. Yeah. And they're just perpetuating that, you know, to where. Uh, yeah, know, I'm, I'm, I mentioned it really quickly that they raised them not to be serious people. And I wrote all these notes and I was done so, because that video of him really changed the way I looked at the show that everybody mm-hmm. tolerated the fucking kids. That that's basically what it was. And yeah, my note was like, I'm not sure the show was even about who ended up in charge. It was all about Logan's narcissism and the monsters he created in his lifetime, in his kids, in his company, in his politics, uh, and kind of raised them not yeah. to be serious people because no one could ever stand at his level. He didn't think anybody could do what he does. Yeah. Um, and that's the kind of, but then I thought maybe he would have been proud of him in that fucking clusterfuck of a scene because when they're all, (laughs) they're all ruthless and heartless and terrible. And he's, you know, like, like maybe that's the only time he ever would have been proud of them when they were imploding on each other. But all right. 1206. Right on. All right, guys. Fantastic. Fantastic night. That was fun. That was a good time. Can't believe the fucking Celtics. Jeez. Bigger losers than the Roy's. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's it i'm out i'm out to go up. <laughs> <laughs> all, right, all right guys all right, boys. have good a good one you. fellas all right, love, love you guys, guys. see you later what do you mean i'm funny Funny like a clown here to amuse you.